Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about life transformation and energy activation. What does it take? My first guest is Sarah Payton, who teaches and speaks internationally about the ways that relationship and language transform the brain and how they prevent and heal trauma by applying complex neuroscience concepts to real life with stories, role plays of research meditations, and engaging dialogues, audience members leave Sarah's presentations with more wisdom and self-compassion, often making sense to themselves for the first time. She's also the author of Your Resonant Self Workbook, From Self-Sabotage to Self-Care. And you're in the house, Sarah, and I'm grateful for that. Nice to have you today. So lovely to be here. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, this is this is good stuff. This is I think where psychology and psychiatry are heading and should be heading to help us understand, manage, and heal ourselves. What a great idea. I love that. I, some, for some reason, the way you put that together, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> right? It makes sense that we give yeah. the power back to ourselves to manage, you know, to manage our minds, uh, you know, tame that monkey mind and work mm -hmm. with the stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah, I often think about that movie, Edward Scissorhands, and how that the, the, the boy had all those knives, you know, uh, instead of fingers, and how that's sort of like what we are like inside of our own brains is that we're just cutting ourselves to ribbons in in a sort of a tragic, but, you know, once you start to see the ins and outs of it, kind of a tragic but beautiful uh, self-laceration in the effort to do better in our lives. Oh, self-laceration. What, what a word. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a truth that you share. I, I would love to ask you to share a little bit about your life and growing up and how you came to make this work your life's passion. Well, one thing that happened to me was I grew up in a university atmosphere in the 1960s and 70s, and it was the time when all the writing was about how whatever you lived through, you were stuck with it. Your brain was then set in concrete, and you just had to figure out how to how to live with the damage that had been done when you were a little person, and that there that there was no change. It was sort of a, an incredibly depressing time in certain ways. And, and our, the, the, the way that neuroscience, relational neuroscience came in with the decade of the brain with all these universities all over the United States getting fMRI machines and beginning 
to put people in them and try to figure out how does the brain work? How are we affected by relationship? Began to really change that. That was then in the 1990s, we began to see this sort of dawning understanding of the relationship between trauma and uh, childhood trauma and adult outcomes and the ACEs study information started to come in 17,000 people where they could track the correlations between how many bad things happened to people as children and then how hard their lives were both in terms of health and in terms of well-being and in terms of depression and in terms of addiction, that across the board, everything was affected by how our childhoods were. And then, of course, that comes, that sort of sounds a little bit like what I was uh, living with in the 60s and 70s. But then we started to see these wonderful changes happening. And when we talk about ACEs, that is adverse childhood experiences, in case anybody was wondering out there that that, that didn't know that. Um, (laughs) And we all have them, right? It's none of us goes through this lifetime without having had at least something. Yeah, no kidding. So we should all exhale, you know, (laughs) that's normal. But I think it's what we do with those experiences. Those experiences. But I wanted to check in with you about neuroplasticity because the research done in this area that really talks about how we can rewire the brain and how that impacts our mental health, healing from these ACEs or any other traumatic experience. Yeah. So, like I said, when I was little, they were like, nope, the brain's not neuroplastic. You've got what you came with. But what we're really discovering is that every warm moment changes brains. Every moment where we have a sense of being understood by somebody else with a sense of, like, allyship and and generosity, uh, uh, any time that we can say to someone, yes, you understand me, it actually uh, forms neural connections that link these two very important brain areas, the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system and amygdala. And what we see is that over time, the more experiences people have of being understood in this way, the more they make sense to themselves and the better their brain works and the better their health outcomes are. And the more they can make good choices to take care of themselves and the more that they they are relaxed and have a capacity for laughter and joy and play. So there's so much change that's possible we have discovered. When we talk about that connection, that sense of connecting with another and them feeling or we feel that we are, you know, seen, heard and understood, which for many of us translates to that sense of being loved that the chemicals released in the body, right? The oxytocin is what I'm thinking of, you know, the bonding hormone that makes us feel soothed and relaxed, which then makes us more receptive to tap into that prefrontal cortex, the part of the the brain that, you know, governs our reason and accountability, right? When we're out of that mind, we're we're out in the wild. (laughs) Yeah. In the wilds of our own brains. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, the more the more that these lovely neural connections form between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala, the more we have a sense that we make sense in the world. You know, instead of having to fight 
for validity or fight for the right to exist. We're just like, yeah, here I am. I exist. Yes, and my experience is valid. And of course, I'm grumpy right now. Of course, I'm angry right now, which is very different from kind of having to fight the internal voices that say you have no right to be angry, but then, you know, you have to burst through them with that rage. So so the more that we make sense to ourselves, the calmer we live. Yes. And the amygdala, when you talk about the function of the amygdala and the, the, uh, I love the phrase, the amygdala hijacking, right? When we're in that fight or flight response, the, the reptilian part of the brain takes over and escorts us down the path of bad decision and rash reaction. Yes, 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 yes. It certainly does. And, and also a kind of disconnection from what's really happening often. Now, the amygdala, of course, is hugely important if we're being attacked or if there's an angry dog chasing us or if uh, we've wandered into a bull pasture or we we, we step into the road and there's a big truck coming and we need to get out of the road. You know, all those survival things are really important and true. But a lot of the time, as adults in a fairly safe world, when our amygdalas go off saying like, oh, my friend has betrayed me, for example, and I will never speak to her again, that's often has to do with earlier betrayals that get overlaid by the amygdala. Because the amygdala by itself, without that resonant understanding and support, the amygdala all by itself just believes that the bad things that have happened in the past are still happening. There is no end to them. And we can experience this if we have like a memory of shame and we notice that our, our shoulders slump and we notice that our cheeks get red we can, or a little hot. We can kind of feel that our body does, is still responding to the original memory, even though it's been 30 years since we were in that classroom with that grade, grade school teacher who, who embarrassed us in front of the class, for example. Mm, I had at least one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most of us can recall some kind of memory like that, you know? Right. Right. And that gives us insight into what post-traumatic stress is. It's the experience of continually being hijacked, being intruded upon by memories that have not yet been fully understood and time-stamped. I was just going to say this quality of warm understanding, the way that we build a sense of really understanding each other by asking questions that are warm, by wondering about one another's experience and really being able to listen, those experiences are what heal trauma. It's the essence of trauma healing because any time that we touch a traumatic memory, we're touching this timelessness, which is bad for PTSD and bad for intrusive memories, but is incredibly good news for the, the, the trauma memories being forever available for healing. And that once we do get accompaniment and warmth and resonant understanding in relationship with the memories, the memories are changed from traumatic experience into, from traumatic memory into life experience. It's like they become time stamped and contextualized. And there we are. Now we're like, oh, yes, I was chased by a dog when I was three. I have a, had a professor in graduate school who said that healing is the application of love to the places that hurt. And that's what I hear you describing, you know, with this, this sense of 
deep listening and presence with one another, you know, using language that is warm, that is inviting by asking questions, you know, tell me more. I'm, I'm interested to learn more when people share in this way, it is transformational. Yes. Yes. And it turns out that there are certain kinds of language that kind of prime the pump for healing. And there are certain kinds of language that shut healing down. So if we are offering advice, then it, it doesn't support uh, well-being. It, it actually, there's this new research I just found a couple of weeks ago that shows that uh, if, if a person is offered advice, it increases negative feelings. And if a person is offered warm, allied support, then then it uh, creates good feelings and contextualization. So <laughs> that's juicy. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. And it doesn't mean that we condone bad behavior. At least oh, that's gosh. what I'm, I'm not hearing that. Actually, mm -hmm. I'm hearing that it, it's really um, holding space for someone else's experience and giving them the dignity of their process. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's sort of a foundational uh, faith in the other person's th that the other person is having an emotional experience, not a logical experience. Yeah, <laughs> the application of our logic is not going to be what changes trauma from traumatic experience into uh, into life experience. It, it, if that were true, then we would all be fine and fully healed and walking around completely well with zero traumatic or intrusive memories, because people are so good at giving advice. <laughs> well, and it's also like the, the someone who is addicted to a substance or a behavior, they they know that they can't stop. You know, most people recognize that if they are having that addiction problem, that if they could, they would. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we, we are pretty real with ourselves in, in, in the quiet of our mind. We, we get yes. it. We just yeah. don't know what to do with it. <laughs> no, we don't know what to do. It's yeah. so true. Let's yeah. take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation with my guest today. She is Sarah Payton and the author of Your Resonant Self Workbook, From Self-Sabotage to Self-Care. We're talking about relational neuroscience. To learn more, please visit sarahpayton.com, on Twitter at Resonant Self, on Facebook, sarah.payton.773. And then on Instagram, Sarah Payton author. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee. Before we take that brief pause, I want to celebrate home as a reflection of who we are. And we all know that living in comfortable, attractive spaces that express our personalities makes us happy. My home is the hub of my family. Home is my haven, castle, sanctuary, recording studio, office, boardroom, creativity lab, and my yard is the neighborhood club quarantine. With summer winding down, Joybird has all the modern outdoor furniture and accessories you need to make the most out of your patio hangs. Joybird offers crisp, modern, customizable furnishings and accessories for every space. Joybird is furniture that fits your style in a wide variety of vibrant and durable designs. 
It's like visiting a virtual candy store for your home with more than 18,000 customized options to help you express your one-of-a-kind style. Recently, I bought the earth-toned Azris rug for our Airbnb and guests are already raving about the look and feel underfoot. Next, I'm eyeing the lowest bookcase with storage to spiff up and help organize my recording studio. Don't know where to start? Joybird's design specialists are standing by to help make your vision a reality for free. Ordering online has never been easier or more fun. From design to customer care, Joybird has you covered. Joybird Furniture stands by its quality and craftsmanship and is committed to a more sustainable future. If it's not everything you'd hope for, send it back within 90 days. Each piece is made with incredible care using responsibly sourced materials that are free of harmful chemicals. Joybird is helping to conserve and restore Earth's precious natural resources through partnerships with groups like One Tree Planted. Simply put, Joybird Furniture is made with top-notch stain and scratch-resistant fabrics and comes with a limited lifetime warranty. Joybird Furniture can handle anything your family throws at it, literally. Create a space that brings you joy with Joybird. Visit joybird.com slash happiness and get 30% off your purchase. That's 30% off at joybird.com slash happiness. Now here comes that pause. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit harvestinghappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we're back continuing the conversation with my guest, Sarah Payton, about life transformation and energy activation. Let's get back to it. So, Sarah, in the first segment, you shared about what happens and made some suggestions and what the research tells us about how to manage and move past some trauma responses in our mind. I would love for you to share with our listeners maybe some exercises or stories that illustrate, you know, the how-tos. Oh, yes. When I first started working with this material, I wrote the first book, Your Resonant Self, which is a guided journey through all the brain systems that that contribute to self-warmth and that stop us from having self-warmth. And I started traveling all over the world. and 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 as I was teaching it, I would meet people who had very, very compelling arguments for why they should not be warm with themselves. And I thought, what is up with this? Here I've made this very compelling argument. (laughs) It's so convincing about how good self-warmth is. And yet here are all these people going, well, that would be lovely, but I just can't do it. So I started to experiment with the idea that we have almost, say, legal contracts with ourselves that um, we make that stop us from being warm with ourselves. I will not be warm with Sarah in, in order to punish her for not being good enough to be loved, no matter the cost to myself. And once people would say, I mean, they would they would have that first part, right? They would have the, I will not be warm to Sarah. Of course I will not. And they just stop there. They're just like, of course not. It's not a possible. And then 
when we started to look at, okay, what's the contractual agreement here? What are you really, you know, what is the foundational reason for you not to be warm to Sarah? Well, to punish her for not being good enough. All of a sudden, when we began to get down to that level of detail, people would go, oh, that's not a very good contract. <laughs> that's not nice. <laughs> also, not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and people would go, heck, I release this contract. I revoke this vow. Instead, I will give myself the blessing to be a human who's trying things out and trying to figure things out and to give myself a little warmth and support. And it was, it was such a radical change. And it was the discovery of the in order to that let people begin to, to shift. And this is the whole focus of the workbook is taking people through exercise and thoughtfulness and reading dialogues with other people working with contracts to be able to find these in ourselves. But you can do it just right now. You can think of some self-sabotaging behavior that you do, like I don't, I will not exercise, <laughs> or uh, or I I will not deprive myself of ice cream. You know, I mean, there are all sorts of things that people have that are just kind of ordinary every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm contracts. giggling because I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then say, in order to, I will just be convinced. Be like, I will not exercise in order to, and see what's there. Like, in order to, um, it can be all kinds of things. In order to keep myself from breaking. In order not to become my father. In order to stay with my mother who was never able to do self-care so that she is not alone. In order to... never be coerced or forced into anything again there can be lots of different in order to's but and those are so personal but just see what happens if you're if you really claim the behavior the self-sabotaging behavior and then say in order to and say it with with conviction (laughs) see what comes out it's such an amazing discovery process i love it in in order to you know it creates a set of conditions that are limiting, that keep us small. Yeah. You know, keeps the playing field really bound up tight. Yes. And yes, what you're suggesting is when we explore that and and begin to remove those barriers and and consider our value and worth to ourselves and 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 others in the world that um the conditions are removed. It's yes. Exactly. Well, and, and then what, what do the, what's the blessing that we give ourselves instead? Joy. People often, <laughs> yeah, people are often like, okay, I could release that, but then what would happen instead? What would I do instead? So it's also very important to begin to describe sort of the first step of a good dream, like not go right away to the enormous, like I will be a good person forever and ever. <laughs> no commitment required. Yeah, to say something a little more modest and doable, like, and tomorrow morning, I give myself the blessing to wake up. And instead of battering myself to say to myself, hello, Sarah, good morning. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think this, you know, when we talk about conditional happiness, and so many of us do this, that, you know, I will be happy when I get you know, and then fill in the blanks, whatever it is, the perfect partner, when I lose 10 pounds, when I, 
when my daughter gets married, when I buy my house, when I get the mm-hmm. promotion, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the stories are, right, yes. that we tell ourselves that 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 conditional happiness is is is, is kind of what you're talking about, too, but in reverse, you know, about yes. limitations. Yes, exactly. That's a beautiful insight as to the part of, and sometimes we'll be like, um, I will not let myself be happy until I have those things, until I have lost 10 pounds, until I have the perfect partner, uh, until um, I have a job I actually enjoy. And then it's like in order to, a lot of times people make these contracts in order to keep themselves from giving up, like to keep themselves working on it. I will not be happy until I lose 10 pounds in order not to give up and become a fat slob. And using the word fat slob as a, as a kind of an internal, uh, 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 the, the, I love body positivity. And I love the idea that our bodies are perfect exactly the way they are. But we often use these words to attack ourselves as part of the Edward Scissorhands kind yes. of uh, blades and, and, and razors that we, we carry within us. So I will not, I will not. I will not stop torturing myself about these 10 pounds in order to make sure that I don't give up and collapse. There's that. And I love what you said about the replacing. Like, what do you Mm -hmm. replace it with? If you get rid of um, the negative self-image or you uh, don't um, uh, sort of limit yourself uh, in your thoughts and your actions, and you see the horizons open up and there and change has to occur. The change is scary, right? The replacement mm-hmm. of from from darkness to light can be scary, because we're yes. not used to it. That's true. It's very true. Yeah. yeah and, and also, I'm thinking about going back to adverse childhood experiences, and even adult um, adverse experiences, you know, when traumatic things have happened to us, in adulthood, and we become wedded to the fallout. Yes, not the event itself, all the things like I couldn't possibly be happy because there was this that happened, that happened, this happened, you're telling me you want me to find, you know, contentment and a a good life when all of these bad things have happened. Yeah, well, a lot of times what our contracts are in those cases are that I, uh, it's like I, I will not forgive. I will not forgive. And the I will not forgive vow is very important because, yeah. because what it does is it, it keeps a foothold in the memory that needs to be held with resonance and warmth. The idea of forgiveness simply falls away once we do the trauma healing work. It's like it becomes a moot point. We see everybody with eyes of compassion, and forgiveness is no longer the most important thing. It's just like, okay, well, this happened. That was part of our lives. My father uh, was difficult because he lived through World War II and he had PTSD. You know, I mean, there's so many, there's so many things we start to see once we open that doorway. And I'm going to sort of dip dip my feet in a little bit deeper with this and and say when we look at trauma that we we've experienced in our lives and some really heinous things people have experienced i mean really bad things criminal things horrible things 
And in working with the healing of that trauma and the healing of those memories, the forgiveness angle isn't so much of forgiving the other people, but forgiving our behavior and reaction to what happened. Yes, it's so true. We often hold it against ourselves. And the neuroscience shows that until the age of nine, it's almost impossible to begin to see the big picture of people's uh, fault. We believe that we are that we are the causal agent until we're about nine years old. It's a conviction that we carry. So all of the bad things that happened to us before we were nine, most often people carry an inner conviction that if only they had been different, the bad things wouldn't have happened. Mm. If only they had been different, there would not have been alcoholism. There would not have been domestic violence. There would not have been um, betrayal. There would not have been difficult events. There would not have been, or, or if something bad had happened, everything would have been different around it. If a parent dies, we would have been able to save the surviving parent from their pain. There are so many different things that people, little children believe that they could have done or been differently. And the positive news that out of the dark storm, you know, that, that we can heal, that I think science is on our side, proving to us that we can heal our brains, we can live fulfilling lives, we have to invest in the work, but it's accessible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The book we're speaking about today is your resonant self workbook from self sabotage to self care. There's also the main book, the original book of the same name, your resonant <laughs> self. <laughs> that has been authored by my guest today, Sarah Payton. Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing oh, about you. your work, your your discovery, your journey. Um, this is a really a, a, a beautiful process. If anybody is curious, I urge you to buy the book. Have a look at Sarah's work at sarahpayton.com, on Twitter at Resonant Self. Facebook, that page is sarah.payton.773, and on Instagram, Sarah Payton Author. We'll take a brief break, and then we'll be right back with my next guest. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Welcome back. Let's continue the conversation. We're talking about life transformation and energy activation. My next guest is Melanie Dean. She has a PhD in psychology and a background in science as well as business. In addition to her education and research in science and psychology, Dr. Dean has been dedicated to the study of spirituality and has learned directly from the Dalai Lama. We're talking about our newest book, the hidden power of emotions, how to activate your energy field and transform your life. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks for joining me on today's show. Hi, Lisa. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for this time together. Oh, me too. I am eager to talk with you about this subject um, because it's one that we we focus on quite a bit. And yet can be challenging for people to say, yeah, I know I should learn to regulate, or I know if I had a better command of myself, I could achieve X, Y, and Z. And yet the execution of that is sometimes very difficult. 
Yes, it is, and yet so powerful when we allow ourselves just a few simple steps to activate that power. So the simple steps really all take place in just a couple of minutes of quiet time with yourself every day. So I'm happy to share how come that is scientifically powerful when um, you think that's a good time to share that with the audience. Well, I think we should jump right in because people, you know, always hear, oh, positive affirmations. You know, you just think about it or you look in the mirror. And I'm thinking of that skit from Saturday Night Live from 30 years ago. You know, Stuart Small, Stuart Smalley, where he oh, looks, yes, at, yes, he looks yes. in the mirror, you know, people like me, you know, this sort of thing. And yes. so <laughs> it gets a bad rap, you know, meditation and yeah. manifestation. The difficulty with just saying, I'm going to think positive and having that work for you is the thinking component in that it is the emotional component that activates the scientifically real power that you have. So when you land on an affirmation that you cannot believe, it seems too far-fetched, it doesn't seem real, you say, okay, I have a whole group of people that like and love me, and I'm loved by everybody, well, that doesn't seem real, Um, everything's going to go smoothly today, and I'm going to achieve everything I want, well, maybe you can't believe that. So if you cannot believe it, you cannot activate the real scientific power of your energy to make that come true for you. So it is the emotion of believing, of hopefulness, of being able to believe the vision you have in your mind. So it's very important that you put a vision in your mind for what it is that you want and you calmly relax into that vision. That activates real energy waves that sync with other similar energy waves. And when those waves sync, they share information at a quantum physics level. I describe that very easy terms in my book. I won't go into detail about that today, but there's quantum physics information being shared when you are calmly, purposefully focused on what you want with some hopefulness and some eagerness with that vision. So what I'm hearing you also say, or what I'm, what I'm not hearing you say, but what I think you also mean is that we have to learn to shunt the self-limiting beliefs or temporarily suspend that tape and move our minds to focus on the things that we want or desire as if it is so, that we really are worthy of these things. I think that the yes and no, the yes part is to find a way to temporarily quiet them so that you can calm yourself first. When you calm yourself first, then it's very important to actually be genuine with yourself. With those emotions that are difficult and challenging and gritchy, you've got maybe anger or resentment or fear or worry or anxiety that keeps you from um, really latching on with full belief and full uh, uh, hopefulness and eagerness. So you have to be real and genuine with those emotions. You need to explore them within yourself and find out and slowly get to know yourself so that you can then own your power 
And what I mean by that is that most often the ways people give away their power, the two biggest ways people give away their power is that they stay focused on others in a negative way, such as blaming others or angry with others or resentful about others that have caused difficulty in your life. If you don't um, be real, if you don't take, take some time to be real with yourself on that and move back into a place of what is it that you want for yourself and what can you do? What can you focus your energy on to bring about what you want in your life? Which means releasing the focus on others. And the second way that people give away their power is when they stay stuck in fear. And we miss the opportunity to calm our mind and calm our body, which creates smooth, evenly spaced energy waves that can sync up with other similar waves. And that syncing then, when it shares encoded information, is your intuitive guidance, giving you nudges and in clarity about how to proceed to get what you want. So you can get unstuck from your fear and anxiety by getting connected to your power to set a clear intentions for what you want and tune into your intuitive guidance. It's there to connect you with everything you desire. And when we're in a state of fear and anxiety, different operating systems are working actually within the brain, right? The, the sort of the executive functioning goes out the window or operating <laughs> yes. from a very primal level that doesn't yeah. actually serve us, except to, to keep us safe in a crisis, you know, to make us bolt and run. Yes, it does. You're, so you're, when you have fear, your body does not know the difference whether you're afraid because you have financial worries or whether you're afraid because you have a conflict with a loved one in your life versus if you're afraid because there's a real fire that you need yeah. to run from. So when you have those fear energy waves, those fear energy waves, they are real energy waves. They are jagged, sharp, chaotic, unpredictably spaced. They are less powerful, three times less powerful than your smooth, calm, evenly spaced waves. Those waves of energy where you're clearly focused on what you desire in your life those can be measured at 0.55 decibel per hertz. And the reason why they're powerful is because they can easily sync with other similar energy waves. Versus your fear, if you stay stuck there in that kind of automatic fear mode and you don't allow yourself to shift out of that, those can be measured, the jagged, sharp, chaotic energy waves, they can be measured at 0.05 decibel per hertz. So 10 times lower frequency, and they're not as powerful. That's fascinating. I mean, it really, really is fascinating. And how come when we're working with this energy and we're working with our, the, the positive personal power and positive personal emotions, does it work sometimes versus not at others? What, what is that? Is it our focus that goes well, it's a variety of things. One, um, we have to be aware that we are powerful within ourselves. And everybody else has power working in the world also. Your power is out there working for what you want. My power is out there working for what I want. 
And sometimes you run into people and systems and large systems that are making decisions that affect your life. So where your power is going to be is to pull it back into yourself with the vision for what it is that you want for yourself in this challenging situation or whatever situation you're in and tapping into your intuitive guidance that gives you the nudges, the pulls, the hunches, the clarity, the ah, that's right, this is how I should proceed, proceed feeling. So where people go astray, and sometimes their power works and sometimes their power doesn't, is they fail to use one piece of their power that's available to them, which is they might focus outside of themselves instead of inside themselves and being clear what they really want for themselves. And they might not tune in to the very real GPS guidance they're built with, which is that when their energy waves get in sync with other similar energy waves, they feel that tug of recognition, that tug of resonance that says, ah, this is for me. This is my pathway. This is how I get what I want. So it's a process of working your power where you have your power. Now, someone listening to this might say, "Mm, okay, theoretically, I can get my head around this, but it sounds a little strange. And you're telling me that I can do this, you know, with just a few minutes of focus. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, the one thing to know is, first of all, if I may share how come these energy waves are real, because when you can envision them, as being real, then you can use that vision of how your energy waves are syncing up with similar other energy waves. Use it to your powerful purpose so you can get what you want. Your emotions of calm and clear focus for what you desire in your life, those are those emotions as well as anxiety and fear, all your emotions, They are real. They're made out of the same energy elements as everything else in the universe, like carbon and hydrogen and nitrogen and oxygen. So those emotions are molecules, and inside those molecules of energy, they vibrate and they have 300 quadrillion waves per second of energy happening inside those molecules. And each emotion has its own unique wave pattern. So I like to envision my powerful wave pattern, which is calm, clear focus. It produces smooth, evenly spaced waves that can easily get in sync with similar other waves. And when I'm feeling fearful, those waves look like what they feel like. Sharp, jagged, itchy, gritchy, chaotic, unpredictable. They look like what they feel like and they're not very powerful. So I really do like to envision those powerful waves going to work for me, the smooth, even, powerful waves working in my life, syncing up with what I want, other similar waves, and bringing me my nudges of guidance. And I can tap into all of that in just a few minutes of quiet time every morning. And so when we engage in the practice, Take us through what that morning meditations or those moments of reflection would look like. So the first thing to do is to allow yourself this time and keep it keep it a sacred time every day. Find a time for just a few minutes. You can start with three minutes. I guarantee you it will feel in, invigorating and you will want more of it. But 
but just start with three minutes and calm your body and calm your mind in whatever way works for you, whether that's journaling a little bit, listening to music, um, laying on the floor and just quietly calming yourself. I like to um, rock a little bit because it just, you know, I can pay attention to that and it quiets me. Sometimes I pay attention to my breathing and that quiets me. So whatever method allows you to quiet your mind and quiet your body. And the second thing is to then envision what it is you really want. Bring to mind the vision, the clarity that you have for what you desire in your life and pair that with your calm emotion. So you're calmly going to be envisioning what you want and you're going to feel the hopefulness and the eagerness and let it bring a smile to your face as you envision this being true in your life, as you envision your life with what it is you want active in it. So let that emotion well up in you of hopefulness and eagerness and looking forward to this. I get and it. And tap into your intuitive guidance. Allow yourself to tune in to that inner wise self during that calm and quiet time. So those are your three steps. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Melanie Dean to learn more about her work and her book, The Hidden Power of Emotions, How to Activate Your Energy Field and Transform Your Life. Please visit MelanieDean.com on Facebook, Powerful Life Wisdom, and on Instagram, Dr. Melanie Dean. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with my guest, Melanie Dean, we're talking about life transformation and energy activation. Let's return to that discussion. So Melanie, during the break, I was thinking about the difference between our thoughts and our emotions and the power that each one of those pack. And I'm wondering if you could sort of guide us in the direction of where the real power lies. Is it in thought or emotion? And then maybe share a story or two of how you got started in this work. Well, it's such a great question to ask about what's more powerful, the thoughts or the emotions. And as you know, in your field of spiritual psychology, that they're threaded together so tightly. You cannot unwind and um, uncord thoughts and emotions. You, when you have a thought about something, it pulls forward emotion. If you're going to concentrate on it, you're concentrating on it for a reason. And so that pulls forward an emotion in you. And when you have an emotion, you're trying to make sense of it, and it pulls forward thoughts in you. Yet the research around the 
power that we have. It's the emotions that carry the power. Thoughts in and of themselves are not powerful unless they are married to the emotion because the emotions have the subatomic quantum energy that is have 300 quadrillion waves per second happening within you. Thoughts, they come and go quickly. They travel very fast in your mind and they do not pack the same power because they do not create molecules of emotions. Emotions are where the power is. So I had my opportunity to understand how this power works came about when I had completed the sale of this business I had grown for 15 years. It was a successful business, but it took me away from my young children and I had decided I wanted to sell it. And so in my quiet time every day, I had this vision for selling my business and I envisioned the exact amount of money I wanted in the bank for it. And I just had this excitement for that. I thought, well, I want this much money in the bank and I want somebody else to be able to take over the business and I can have more time with my children. So I had this vision and all of a sudden it's coming true. What I had focused on in my quiet time every day is coming true. And at the end of it, I had the exact amount of money in the bank that I had envisioned. Hmm. So then my scientific mind said, well, how did that happen? Is there something scientifically real with this desire that I had and this focused concentration that I had? And I now had the luxury then after that of being able to investigate the answer to that question. And I found out, yes, our clear, calm focus for what we want in our life is real energy and it's real energy, our intuitive guidance for how to get connected with that and how to have that realized in our life is also real energy. So I can do this again anytime I want to for anything I want to. And so can you and so can everybody else. We all have this built in power to focus on what we want and pay attention to our intuitive guidance and get it. I think that the intuitive guidance part is uh, elusive for many people. You know, that they are, are afraid to tap into it or they're disconnected from it because like you said earlier, everybody has it, but maybe is not connected. Yes, absolutely not connected to it. And yet, if you practice it, if you allow yourself to be connected to it, meaning give yourself some quiet time every day, and you can start easy with just getting to know yourself. How do you feel when something's right for you? You know, like Lisa, do you have that feeling, when a gut feeling when you know something is right for you? How would you describe your gut feeling? Oh, yeah. It's a, 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 the, the sensation that I have is all systems are go. Oh, and so what does that feel like inside of you? Is, are those words that go in your head or is it a feeling it's in your body? It's a feeling. Like, you know, my body gets revved up and is tingly and I recognize that, yes, this is sort of in alignment with my values, my goals, my interests. You know, there's a there's a little bit of a criteria for me, you know, because I also understand that the that that we have a lot of power. And if we don't use this type of work constructively, there can be a problem. Yes. So it's so interesting. So your signals are all systems go and you feel that and yes. you almost have that message in your mind, but you feel it in your body. Oh, yes. 
So what does it feel like in your body when it's a no for you, when you say, okay, that is so not for me? What does that feel like? Heavy, dark, constricted. Okay, your signals are very clear. That's how you hear your intuitive guidance. Yes. I hear my intuitive guidance a little bit differently, and we all will have a different way in which we know that we're in touch with our intuitive guidance. For me, when I am in touch with my intuitive guidance that's giving me a yes signal, I have this calm relaxation that just washes over me and a smile comes to my face, this huge smile that just says, that's it, that's yeah. it. And for me, that's, uh, that's the akin to your description of all systems go. And my no is a tense, dark, uh, low down place in my body. Interesting. So for- Yes. So all of us need to become, you know, get to know ourselves. What is this gut reaction when you know it's a yes, that's a good intuitive tug that's saying, yes, this is for you. What is that signal for you? I used that signal once. Um, You can use your power in both good times when you can get calm and purposeful, and you can use your power on the fly when it's challenging and difficult. You have to get practiced for what are your intuitive signals so that when you use it on the fly, you know whether if you're getting a good signal communication, getting good guidance. I remember when uh, my family had a little puppy dog and the collar had come off our little puppy dog, dog named Comet, so cute. And the collar had come off and I hadn't replaced it and all of a sudden Comet was missing. And of course, we're all searching frantically throughout the neighborhood and we cannot find Comet. And I'm just distraught. We're all distraught. I'm in tears. And after hours of searching, I came home and I gave myself just a couple of minutes of quiet calm and I envisioned Comet back home with us, safe and sound. And then I got busy on the computer looking up sites where he might have been turned in or how do you announce for a lost dog and I was doing all that and in the middle of that I had my intuitive guidance just well forth in me and it was clear it was like clear get in the car I just had this prompting this feeling this nudge get in the car and a vision for where to go and it took me I had this vision of going to this empty field that was nearby where I live well I went there and there's no dog And I think, geez, Louise, my guidance is leading me wrong, you know. Well, then it was so clear, no, go the other way to that neighborhood, that huge neighborhood across the street. So I drove my car into that huge neighborhood across the street, and my guidance said, go to that house. It was a gray house. It was dusk. It was almost dark. There were no lights on. And I went up to the front door, and nobody answered the doorbell. And then I rang again and nobody answered the doorbell. And I thought, I must be crazy. But I felt glued. It was as if, I mean, I had every intuitive knowing in my body that said, stay on this doorstep. So I rang the doorbell yet again. And a man answered. And I apologize for disturbing him because clearly I had awakened him. And he said, oh, yes, some lady came by with a cute little black dog, and she left me with her phone number. Uh. And so there I am getting my dog back. And and she had driven the dog a couple of miles away, and I was sobbing the whole time going over there. And then there's my little dog. And 
So my intuitive guidance helped me in a very challenging situation on the fly in the spur of the moment because I knew what my intuitive signals were. So we all need to get familiar with how does our intuition talk to us? And the only way to do that is through practice, you know, learning to trust ourselves, trust our gut, trust those hunches and work it because eventually we we become better at it. At least for me, that has been my experience is the more I practice it and the more I listen, the more ever present it becomes. Yes. And research says the same research. There's lots of research on using your intuitive guidance, your intuition. And it says you have to practice. It gets it gets stronger the more information you have. So gather information so you can be considering wise decisions for yourself and then use your discernment on the best way to proceed. And did you know that CEOs, they've done research with CEOs of corporations and the CEOs of corporations who have the highest profits and the most successful new products are CEOs that use their intuitive guidance as part of their decision-making process. I have heard that. I have. And a lot of CEOs will talk about it if you ask them Mm -hmm. that it's not, you know, it, it, this is not woo woo, you know, it is not, it is not woo woo. It's real, (laughs) scientifically real. It's real. It's real. We are out of time. I want to thank you for coming and and sharing your wisdom and, and your experience and the process of tapping into the hidden power of emotions, how to activate your energy field and transform your life. To learn more about Dr. Melanie Dean and her work, please visit MelanieDean.com on Facebook, Powerful Life Wisdom, and on Instagram, Dr. Melanie Dean. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lisa. And hello, and thank you to all the listeners for listening. And may you shift your emotions and be very powerful. Thanks for joining us on today's show. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Sarah Payton and Melanie Dean, wishing you kind thoughts kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.